It's been said for centuries that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. You've heard this phrase, right? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And I looked up this phrase. It's literally been around for, as far as we can tell, about 2,300 years. That this phrase in some form actually existed as far back as 3 uh, B.C., or actually, that, that would be 2,000 years, right? About 2,000 years that this phrase in some form has existed. It, what does it mean? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It is to say that the perception of beauty is a subjective endeavor. This is what it basically connotates, that beauty is a matter of opinion in that sense. People will differ on what they think is beautiful, when it comes to landscapes, clothing, even women. Although when something is truly beautiful, there is usually not much disagreement. I was just in Southern California myself, as, as many of you know, and one of the evenings that we were there, we were in San Diego at a place called La Jolla Cove. We were in La Jolla Cove and we were there at sunset. And if you ever get a chance to be in California, to be at La Jolla Cove at sunset, it is a magnificent thing. It was one of these sunsets that is truly a sight to behold. Now, I have a picture. Don't put it up yet. I have a picture, and I'm going to tell you about this picture. My son, who is a, a budding photographer, uh, took this picture, and you will see uh, that it, it was just a glorious thing. Uh, go ahead and put it up there. This, is, this was the sunset at La Jolla Cove that, that, that we took as we stood there. And let me tell you something. If I had uh, no uh, clipboard and pen to take a poll of those who were witnessing this sunset, I would dare say that no one would say that it wasn't absolutely beautiful, that it wasn't absolutely something that was stunning. I don't believe that anyone there would have said, no, I don't think so. I don't think it's a beautiful sunset. Well, let me submit this to you. While there may be something subjective about the perception of beauty in temporal matters, I believe that there is an absolute beauty. Let me say that again. While there may be something subjective about the perception of beauty in temporal matters, I believe that there is an absolute beauty. There is something that is absolutely, absolutely beautiful. What is it, you may ask? It is the Lord. Amen? It is the Lord. The Lord is absolutely beautiful. Where do you think all the beauty in the world comes from? Amen? Where do you think this beauty comes from? It comes from the Father himself, from his very essence, from the very essence of his being. He's beautiful. comes from him, and he is beautiful. Now, many people, unfortunately, miss the beauty of the Lord. I believe that this, this probably is the most tragic thing that exists in the world, in the universe, to miss the beauty of the Lord, to miss that which is absolutely beautiful in this world. They reject his truth, firstly, 
and therefore, by virtue of that decision, they miss his beauty. And again, I think this is a tragic, a tragic situation to miss out on the beauty of the Lord. Well, tonight, I want to point people in the direction of beholding the beauty of the Lord. And as a result, receiving what you need in your life. Tonight, we are continuing in the miracle series, Miracles in Matthew. And we're going to take a look at a miracle where Jesus gave three of his disciples a look, a peek, a look at his beauty, and they were changed forever. One look at his beauty will change you. One look at his beauty and glory, the glory of his countenance will change you forever down to the center of your soul. And this all takes place right here in Matthew, the 17th chapter. Jesus goes up on a high mountain with his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he reveals his glory, his beauty to them. What they experienced on that mountain is what you need. What they experienced on that mountain is what I need. Amen? I've got two points tonight. If you're taking notes, they're simple. See his beauty and hear his truth. Amen? So let's take a look at this amazing miracle and see the beauty of the Lord. First, in Matthew 17, see his beauty. Let's pick it up. Matthew 17, verse 1. It says this. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to, to Jesus, Lord, it, 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 it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. <clears throat> this is an amazing miracle of Jesus. This is an incredible miracle. You say a miracle? Yeah, this is a miracle. This is a miracle that happened. These guys, these three disciples saw it. This miracle is unique among the others that appear in the canonical gospels in that the miracle happens to Jesus himself. It's not a miracle that he performs on something else, on some inanimate object, like when he made water into wine or when he healed the the men with leprosy or other miracles that he performed, perhaps feeding the 5,000 with the five loaves and the two fish. No, this was a miracle that took place literally with Jesus himself. Thomas Aquinas considered the transfiguration the greatest miracle in that it was a complement to the baptism, to the baptism of Christ, and it showed the perfection of life in heaven, it showed this beautiful perfection of the glory of God. Okay, so what happens? Jesus takes three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. This is kind of like the, you know, you know, you had the 12, right? You had the 12 disciples, but then you had this inner circle, right? Jesus had this inner circle. He had Peter, James, and John. These were the closest to him. Now, in context, what's about to happen Anytime you look at scripture, you always want to look at the context. Amen? You always want to look at the context. And what's about to happen is, I think, one of the, 
one of the incredible moments of the New Testament. It's one of the incredible moments of the New Testament, and it comes right on the heels of what happened in the previous chapter, Matthew 16, which was the declaration of Peter as he was asked, the disciples were asked by Jesus, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And we don't have time to go through that uh, particular passage, although that's one of my favorites. I, I wrote a book on that question. But anyways, Peter answers the question and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so this is the context of this particular situation. And so we go from Peter's declaration that Jesus is the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the son of the living God, and we go right into this situation where Jesus is taking Peter, James, and John up the mountain uh, on this particular occasion. So what follows here, what we see, is a further revelation of the identity of Jesus. We see the, 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 the declaration of Peter declaring uh, the identity of Christ. And now we're going to see this further revelation to them of truly his identity and who he is and where he came from. So what happens? He was transfigured. Look at that verse two. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Jesus was transfigured. You say, well, what, what's that, right? Transfigured? It's, it's a word in the Greek. It's, it's, it's uh, metamorpho, metamorphosis. This is where we get the word metamorphosis. It's, it's literally to change form. Uh, it's, it, this is what happened. Jesus, his, his form literally changed. And we're going to get into exactly what that means, what that is. Uh, really, what we see here is that Jesus... He, he pulls back the, the form of his humanity to reveal to these three disciples the, his divinity, to reveal his glory to them, to reveal his beauty to them. And this is what happens. This is, this is what we see. Now, Paul, in his epistle uh, to the Philippians, you will remember in Philippians chapter 2, one of the great passages, one of the great chapters of, of Paul's writings. It's known as the kenosis passage. It's the self-emptying of Christ. It's where, where Christ, being fully God, stepped out of heaven and into human form and into uh, humanity. And this is what Paul talks about in that passage. And I'm going to read some of it for you. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, it says this, Now let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, okay, follow Paul right here, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So what is Paul saying? Paul's saying that Christ was God. He had the form of God. He was in the form of God. But he took on a different form. He was always fully God, but he took on a different form. He came in the likeness of men. He came in humanity. So Jesus came into the world in the form of man. In, in the morphe, if that, in that sense. This is called the humiliation of Christ, where he, he brought himself low. He emptied himself 
of, of, of that place where he was in heaven and came into the, the creation that he made. So here in Matthew 17, Jesus is transformed in front of them. So these guys are getting a peek. These guys are getting this unbelievable opportunity to see who Jesus really is. Here Jesus was in the form of God. He came and came to earth and took on the form of man. And now these three are on the mountain with Jesus and they're getting to see the form of God revealed to them. It's like he pulls back the, the form of man, the humanity, and his face shone like the sun. His, his clothes were bright. It was a, just a radiance, a glory that just emanated from him. It was a beauty that was incredible that these guys were seeing. So what did they see? They saw Jesus for who he really is. Wow. Don't you wish? I, that, that, that's... I remember years ago, I don't know, probably 25 years ago, Stephen Curtis Chapman had a song called, you know, I I just want them to see Jesus for who he really is. And I believe that if we could see Jesus for who he really is, we would be so blown away by the splendor, by the glory, just standing in awe, just the beauty of who he is. Just we would just be blown away by who he is. And and I think we, we need that in our lives. We, we need that once again. We need to be awestruck. We need to have that sense of wonder in our lives. We, in, in some ways in the church, we've lost that. We, we've, lost, we've lost that. We, we, you know, we, we, we do a whole bunch of things, but sometimes I think we need to stand back and we need to just soak in the beauty of the Lord, the, the, the glory of the Lord, and just be in awe of Him. Amen? They saw Jesus for who he really is. They saw the glory of the Father in that sense was revealed. There was, there was, we'll get into it later, but there was also a cloud that overshadowed them. There was the, his face shone like the sun. His clothes were white. It was this radiance of glory. And then there was this cloud also there. And the Father always, in the Old Testament, you see the cloud. You see this imagery in the Old Testament of the cloud. You see the, the, the Shekinah glory cloud. You see the, the pillar of cloud that led the people, right? A pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night uh, that led them in the, in the wilderness uh, as, as they were there. And, uh, and so you, you see this cloud in the desert when uh, they made the tabernacle. What happened when they finally got it all put together? They got it built, the cloud came down and filled the tabernacle, right? It, it was in that sense the presence of God. It was, a, it was kind of a picture for everybody of, of God coming to dwell with his people. And so you had this sense of God's presence and, and the glory that filled the tent, that filled the, the, the holy of holies. When Solomon's temple was completed, same thing happened. Amen? You fast forward all those years. When Solomon's temple was completed, God's presence and glory filled that temple in the form of a cloud. There was a cloud that just, I mean, I can't explain it. I I can't stand up here and do any justice to it. The only thing I can say is let's just open up our lives to, 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 to seeing the beauty of Christ, to seeing the beauty of the Lord. God's presence filled that temple like a cloud. Now Jesus is standing here with three of his disciples, and he's 
being transfigured. He's kind of pulling back the huma- his humanity. His, his form, the, the godly form, is shining forth. The cloud, the glory, it's all there. And Peter, James, and John are just amazed. Now Jesus is standing there, and now we have two more people there with him, right? We have Moses and Elijah that are there with them. And Luke records that there, this, this, uh, the transfiguration is actually found in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, in Luke's account of the transfiguration, Luke records that they were talking about Jesus' death, that here Jesus is now carrying on a conversation with Moses and Elijah, and they're talking about the death of, of Jesus that is, that is coming, that he's going to his death, that he's going to give his life, that he's going to give his life for, for the people of the world. Now, you, you see you have Moses and Elijah there. Now, whenever you see Moses and Elijah, and the, I think some of the early commentators, some of the early fathers picked up on this as, as what you see here. You have Jesus and you have Moses and Elijah. Now, Moses is, is he's the law, right? He, he's the picture of the law. He wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books, what we call the Torah, right? The Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And, 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 and God gave the law. God spoke to Moses and gave the law through Moses. And so when you see Moses, it's a picture of the law. And then, then next to Moses, you see Elijah. And after Moses, you had the prophets, right? You had this series of prophets that were sent to Israel to, to to, to prophesy to them, to bring God's word to them, to be God's mouthpiece, to speak to them. And so you have this picture that we see here on the mountain. We have Jesus. We have Moses who represents the law. We have Elijah who represents the prophets. And they're having a conversation. Now Moses was uh, one that, was, that actually had, was given a similar uh, opportunity, if you will, that these three disciples were given. If you remember, let me refresh your memory. Back in Exodus chapter 33, this is the occasion when Moses is dialoguing with the Lord. And um, I love that because, you know, Moses is a great example to us as, as believers. He's a great example to us as Christians of having that dialogue with the Lord, that God speaks to us and that we speak to him, and we have this ongoing dialogue. And remember that passage where it tells us that Moses spoke with God as, as you would to a friend. And, and he has that relationship, this awesome relationship. So they're having this dialogue, Moses and God, and Moses says to the Lord, he says, show me your glory, right? Show me your glory. I want to see you. I want to see this glory. I want to see this beauty. I want to see you, God. Would you show me your glory? And this is the account. If you don't mind, can I read a little bit of that passage for you? In Exodus 33, picking it up at verse 18, it says this. And he said, Moses said, please show me your glory. Then God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim my name before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. 
But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. And so it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you. And my hand, with my hand, while I pass by, and then I will take away my hand. And you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And so we have this account in Exodus 33, and it goes into chapter 34. You, you want to spend some time reading this. Sometimes I bring up these passages, and I don't have time to go through all these passages. But it's just, it's just you know, hopefully, you know, to spur you on to go home and, you know, oh, yeah, I want to, go, I want to dive back into that whole path. You know, and I did this week. I, I went back and I read chapter 33 of Exodus and 34, and, and, I, and I'm just sitting there reading again a passage that I've read before and just blown away all over again at, at the glory of God and the love of God and the mercy of God and the compassion of God. And, and how Moses was able to see the, the glory of God, the beauty of God. Now, you have the prophets. The prophets were also given opportunity to see the Lord. Amen? There were, there were those that had that opportunity. One in particular, the prophet Isaiah. And you'll be familiar with this in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah talks about that opportunity that he was given to see the glory of God, to see the beauty of the Lord. And and let me read that passage for you. Isaiah uh, chapter 6, it says this, Isaiah saw the Lord uh, in in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim, Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the the posts of the doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Let me stop right there. You you see this scene? (coughs) You see this scene? Here is Isaiah. In the temple, he is, getting, he is getting this opportunity, like Moses had, to, to see the Lord. And it's an incredible scene. <laughs> the vo- the vo- there's this voice, there's angels, there's these seraphim, they've got six wings. I mean, can you, you know, there's some, there's some wild stuff that we haven't seen yet, amen? There's some, you want to talk about, you know, okay, we've seen some cool stuff, all right? You know, we've stood on the cliffs of California. We've stood on the shore of Hawaii. But there's some stuff that we ain't seen yet that's pretty wild stuff. And I'm looking forward to seeing some of this stuff. You know, some men have been given that opportunity to see an angel. They've come into the, you know, Joseph one night woke up. And, oh, there's an angel. And, uh, you know, Mary. Sometimes I walk into a room. And I'm like, are they... Are there any angels in here? <laughs> Have you done that? No? Okay, okay I'm weird. I'm weird. I, I do that. I have done that. I've, I've looked. I've said, now, are there, any, are there any ridiculously powerful, you know, God's messenger dudes in here? You know? One day we're going to see all this stuff. One day we're going to see all this stuff. And, and, and Isaiah saw it. And, and, and what I always liked about this, this particular passage in Isaiah 6 is that the place shook, and it was filled with smoke. Uh, 
you know, God, he likes, to, he likes fog machines, you know? He fogs, he fogs stuff. He's a fogger. You know, I remember when we had a youth group back in the, you know, 20 some years ago, back in Virginia, and we, this was in the beginning when, you know, youth groups were getting used to, you know, you put some lights up and you do some stuff. And we bought a fog machine and we would literally fog the youth room so thick. Uh, we would sit in there and I would just keep fogging. And I would fog and fog and fog until it was a thickness, it was a Shekinah glory in there. And I prayed and I said, the youth are going to come in here and they're going to get saved and they're going to give their lives to Christ and they're going to be called into the ministry and they're going and, 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 and it happened. Amen. Now, I'm not giving any, any credit to the fog machine. I'm giving all the credit to the Lord, but I'm just saying that to say that the Lord likes fog. Amen. Amen. The Lord loves fog. The smoke filled the temple. And what happened? Isaiah said, woe. Woe is me. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Now, what I didn't mention about the Moses, about Moses' opportunity, is that if you read in Exodus 34, okay, he has this, can you, can, have you ever tried to picture that scene in Exodus? I have visually, in my mind, tried to recreate that. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, there's a cleft of the rock somewhere. And God's putting Moses in the cleft of the rock. And now God is going to go by and he's declaring his name. He's declaring his name to Moses. When, when God declares his name, he declares the essence of who he is. And so if God's going to show you anything, it's all tied in. And who he is, what his name is, and, 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 and his beauty, the beauty of his holiness. And so he goes by. And what, what I didn't tell you is that in 34, Moses comes down the mountain, right? And they had to tell him. His brothers had to pull him aside and say, Moses, your face is shining. His, his skin was literally just glowing. His skin was glowing. I mean, I don't know what that means. I just, I, it, that's what it says. His skin was glowing because of what he saw. Now, Isaiah was touched by the coal and he had seen the Lord. And they were both just tra changed transformed because of why because they had seen the glory they had seen the glory of God they had seen the beauty of the Lord they had seen Jesus for who he really is Amen. I mean Peter is so overwhelmed by this situation look at verse 4 back in, in Matthew 17 Peter is so overwhelmed then Peter answered and said to Jesus Lord it's good for us to be here if you wish let us make We'll make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. 
The tabernacle is what? A tabernacle is a dwelling. He's going to make three dwellings, tents, some, something. Let's just stay here. This is wonderful. We're just going to stay. This is cool. This is great. What? Seeing the glory of God, seeing the beauty of God, taking it all in. It's a life-changing situation. It's, 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 I mean, we're not talking about a sunset here. We're not talking about a beautiful, glorious sunset. We're talking about the beautiful glory of the Lord that these guys saw. The question for you and I tonight is, have we seen him? Have we seen him? Have you seen him? Have I seen him? Have you seen his glory? Because he is beautiful and I believe he's absolutely beautiful. I believe he's absolutely beautiful. The psalmist knew this. The psalmist knew that he was beautiful and saw it as his number one goal. Psalm 27 verse 4, I'll have it on the screen for you. It says this, one thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my days to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. To, to behold the beauty. I, I, I honestly, you think about the last time you heard a message about beholding the beauty of the Lord. And I tell you what, this is what heaven's going to be about. Amen. This is what eternity is going to be about. This is what heaven's going to be about. This is what it's all about, folks. When we get to heaven, you know, when John was taken up in the spirit into heaven, what's the first thing he saw? He saw a throne room. And it's fully described there in Revelation chapter 4. When we get to heaven, we're going to take it all in and we're going to behold the beauty of the Lord. And as Christians, we get the opportunity to behold that beauty now, to see him, to see the beauty of Christ to see the beauty of who he is, to see the beauty of his character, to see the beauty of his divinity, to see the beauty of his love, his compassion, his tender mercies, his grace, to see his beauty. And oh, the, the world gets this, this mixed message. The, the world gets this mixed message of, of Christ and, and of the Lord. And, and I'm here to tell you, we need to be people who proclaim and lift high and proclaim the beauty of the Lord because he is beautiful. And I believe he's absolutely beautiful. Now, the prophet Jeremiah said in his prophecy that, and it's found in Jeremiah 29, 13, that if you seek the Lord with all your heart, you will find him. You say, well, I haven't, I haven't caught up to the Lord yet. I haven't seen him. I haven't seen his beauty. I haven't taken it in. I haven't, I haven't been exposed to any of the glory. Jeremiah says, if you'll seek him, if you'll seek him with all your heart, you're going to find him. You're going to find him. If you wait upon the Lord, if you wait upon the Lord, you're going to find him. Amen. Amen. And then looking just quickly into that second point, the first one is see the beauty, see the beauty of the Lord. Secondly, hear the truth. Hear his truth. Let's pick it up. Verse five. It says this, now, while he was still speaking, speaking of Peter, and remember, Peter is saying, look, let's build three tents. Let's stay up here. This is wonderful. Verse five, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. 
And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. First, tonight, we need to see his beauty. Secondly, we need to hear his truth. While Peter, here's Peter, he is, you know, Peter gets a lot of slack. I mean, people are hard on Peter. Um, he had a couple really good attributes. I believe he was a leader. Um, but, but people give him a lot of slack because, or a lot of hard time because he uh, was so quick to say things and so quick to do things that he often said the wrong thing and did the wrong thing. I mean, this is the guy that, you know, cut the guy's ears off in the, in, the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is the guy that, you know, did all this stuff. And, and here he's wanting to build tabernacles and all this for everybody. And while he's still speaking, there's a voice from heaven. There's a cloud and there's a voice. And the voice speaks and the voice says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. It's the voice of the father. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. God was saying this. I want you to listen to what my son has to say. This is, of course, reminiscent of the voice of the father speaking at the baptism of Jesus. Did that ring some bells? Here we have another voice. Remember at the baptism of Jesus, Jesus goes down to John the Baptist. He's baptized. He comes up out of the water. The, the spirit descends in the form of a dove. That's where we, that's one of the places where we get that, that uh, idea of the spirit in the form of a dove. That's Matthew 3.16, by the way. Not John 3.16, but Matthew 3.16. And then the voice. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And here, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. What was happening here? The father is telling these three guys, Peter, James, and John. They're looking, they're seeing Jesus. They're seeing Moses who represents the law. They're seeing Elijah who represents the prophets. That was the word of God to them. Moses and the prophets. Moses and the prophets. And the Father is saying, as Jesus is being revealed to them, and they're seeing his beauty and his glory, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And the message is that we need to hear, we need to see the Lord, we need to hear him, we need to hear what he has to say, we need to look into the scriptures at what he has to say and what he said by what he did upon the cross. We need to hear him. We need to hear him. You've heard Moses. You've heard the prophets. Hear Jesus. He's the full revelation of God. Amen? You want to know God? Hear Jesus. Hear what Jesus has to say. In the Gospels, we have quite a bit of teaching of Jesus. Amen? We have, of course, we have the Sermon on the Mount, which we're now very familiar with. Amen? And, of course, we have the Olivet Discourse, we have the upper room discourse. We have his interaction with his disciples. We have the interaction with the various people that he met, those that he healed, those people that he came in contact with. We have all of those teachings of Christ. 
that we need to hear, that we need to hear in our lives, I believe on a daily basis. I, I, I think it would be a good idea if you found yourself somewhere every day reading the words of Christ. Of course, you say, well, where are the words of Christ? It, it, it all is. <laughs> Amen, right? But even in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of hearing the words of Christ. What happened? They fell on their faces when they heard the voice. And Jesus, he said, arise and do not be afraid. And then, of course, he tells them, do not tell. Do not tell this until I be resurrected from the dead. Now, if we see his beauty and hear his truth, there is one thing that should happen to us. Let me, let me say this in closing. If we see the beauty of the Lord and we hear the truth of the Lord, of Jesus, there is one thing that should happen to us. What is it? We should be transformed. Amen? We should be transformed. We should be transformed in our lives. When these disciples saw the glory of Jesus, they were changed. There, there began a transformation in their lives that changed their lives from the inside out. They were, they were, they were gloriously transformed. These guys were changed. This is what happens, I believe, when you see Jesus for who he really is. Some say, you know, you can go to church. You know, uh, Keith Green used to say, you know, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's would make you a hamburger. Now, he said that, I don't know how many, you know, 30-some 30, 30 years ago, but it's true. People will go to church and, you know, just do church, just do all kinds of church and, and church and church and church. What needs to happen is that we need to be transformed. You need to be transformed in your life, in your heart, in your spirit. When you see Jesus for who he really is, this is what's going to happen. If, you've, if, you, if you get a taste of the glory, if you see his glory, if you see his beauty, that's life-changing. Amen? I, I don't think you can see his beauty. and not, you, how, how can it happen that you're not changed? I mean, we're talking about, we're, we're seeing the Lord. Anybody seen him physically with their eyes? No. We're talking about spiritually, right? We're talking about using our spirit, the spiritual giftedness that God has given us to see the beauty of the Lord. Now, what's going to happen? John tells us that when we see him, what's going to happen? We will be like him. You want to talk about transformation. You cannot see the Lord and not be fundamentally transformed. And if we see the Lord in our spirit, we need to be transformed in our life. It's life-changing. Now, I want to just read you, read you a couple more passages of Scripture. I've, I've, you know, it's been said that a great pastor once said, the more of the word that I read to the people, the better off they're going to be. Amen? Amen. This is what Peter wrote about this situation. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, it says this. For we did, not know, we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. What's that? Go back to go back go back three slides. Go back to 16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables, stories when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus. We did we're we are not delivering to you some made up story. We were eyewitnesses of his beauty. Of his majesty. You want to talk about majesty? You want to talk about his beauty? These guys were eyewitnesses of his beauty, of his majesty, of his glory. This is what they delivered to people. Man, if we, if we just got a taste of it, a tad, a peak of it. Incredible. Now, John, one of the other guys that was up there, he... He talks about it too. In John chapter 1, verse 14, I'll have it up on the screen. John said this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So here's John talking about what he saw on the mountain. Look, the Word, the essence of God, in the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That word, that's verse 1, verse 14, and that word became flesh, took on the form of flesh, and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. Put a, he came and filled a tent, just like we have. And we beheld him. We beheld the glory. The glory is the only begotten. The one, in a, the one of a kind and only Son of God. Yes. Amen? Yes. Of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen? So what type of transformation needs to take place in our lives? When we, beho- when we behold his beauty, when we behold his majesty, we receive his grace and truth. Amen? I think sometimes, and, we, and I heard this at a, at a conference, sometimes what happens is people miss it because they're rejecting the truth that they're hearing. But they can catch it if they'll get a glimpse of his, of his beauty, of his majesty. And they begin to open themselves up to the full grace and truth of God. Amen? And it's life-changing. It's life-changing. And I want to encourage all of us to seek him. And to, as the psalmist said, that we would see the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple.